Thank you, Dan and choir and instrumentalists for beautiful music today. We have a special privilege. We have Dr. Todd Steele, who's the Dean of Baylor's Truett Seminary, bring our message today. He has degrees from Baylor University, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, the University of Glasgow, Scotland, a PhD, studied at Cambridge and the University of St. Andrews, amongst other places. If you've been reading commentaries, either in Sunday school literature or of academic sense, there's a good chance that at some point you'll come across some work of the scholar who'll be bringing our message today. What a blessing, Todd. Come and bring us God's word. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Batson, and good morning, First Baptist family. You usually say good morning back when someone says good morning to you, don't you? I'm just a little puzzled. Uh, I'm thrilled to be with you today. It's a true honor. I bring greetings from Baylor University, her seminary, and from our president and chancellor, Judge Ken Starr. Allow me to begin this morning by simply saying thank you. Thank you both to Dr. Batson and to this congregation. Over the years, Howie has been a friend to me personally and to Baylor's Truett Seminary. Recently, Howie was on our campus teaching and preaching. And to say that he was readily, well, and warmly received would be an understatement. Faculty, staff, and students alike were and still are talking about how thrilled they were with and touched by his ministry among us. But I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. Day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out, you're blessed by this minister's ministry among you. Thank you, Dr. Batson. Thanks are also due to you, not only for rearing in this church faculty like Darren Davis, hiring our graduates like Jeff Raines and more recently in November, Anna Getz, and for sending us students like your present minister, Reed Reedus, and Lauren and Ryan McCoy, and Sean Boyd, among others. But also thanks are due to this congregation for your ongoing spiritual and financial support of Truett Seminary. In fact, there is hardly a day that I do not give thanks for this congregation. For if you're to walk into the dean's office at Truett Seminary, you will see a plaque that says, this room is made possible by the generous donations of the congregation of the First Baptist Church of Amarillo. Thank you. Most Christians that I have known do not become believers so that they can fail or flag. The vast majority of folks that have entrusted their lives to Christ want to become fully devoted followers of Christ Jesus. They really do want to be pressed in to the image and the likeness of Christ. This is more difficult in practice, however, than it is in theory. The Galatian Christians certainly found that to be the case. You may recall that the Apostle Paul came to them preaching the crucified Christ and calling them to the cruciformed life. But some Janie and Johnny come latelys that Paul calls the agitators, the troublers. They come in behind him and they say, 
Well, Paul was good as far as he went, but he did not go far enough. In fact, Paul is a pseudo-apostle preaching a partial gospel. You see, it's not only Christ and his cross, but it's also the works of the law. That is, in order to become Christians, Gentiles, you must also become Jewish. Paul, wherever he might have been at the time, hears this news, and he is in King James parlance, yea, verily, hacked. (laughs) (laughs) And he fashions for himself this fiery communique. And from the get-go, he dispenses with thanksgivings. All he can do is see his way clear to hurl an anathema here and an anathema there. The initial part of this epistle is given over to autobiographical reflections whereby the apostle says that I received my gospel by way of revelation, but this very gospel was affirmed by the pillars in Jerusalem. And I've been crucified with Christ, Paul can say. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith or perhaps by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And I do not seek to find righteousness by respect of the law because if this were the case, then Christ died needlessly, but he didn't. And Paul spends chapters three and four at pains to establish the doctrinal and scriptural foundations that enabled the Galatians to once again turn their eyes upon Jesus and to look full in his wonderful face. But he gets to chapters five and six, and in so doing, finds himself at pains to press upon the Galatians the need to not only begin with Christ, but also to continue with him. The scripture that Anna read is the scripture whereby Paul says, stay in step with the Spirit. Advance your life in Christ by being in sync with the Spirit. But what we find is that our spirits are willing, but our flesh is, yes, frequently weak. So the question comes to us, lo, these 2,000 years later, how is it that we can stay in step with the Spirit? How is it that we can walk by the Spirit and not thereby carry out the desires of the flesh? The text before us, beginning in Galatians 5.25 and carrying on through 6.10, instructs us that if we are to stay in step with the Spirit, so that when the Spirit says right, we don't march left, and when the Spirit says left, we don't march right, we need to, first of all, learn how to balance responsibility to others and accountability to God. It's a delicate dance, it's a tension, but both matter. On the one hand, we must realize that we are responsible for other people. Did you see it? It's right in the text. It's 6-2. Carry each other's burdens. 
and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And we see that the law of Christ is the law of love. We see that earlier in chapter 5. And a way that we can tangibly express this love is to carry one another's loads. It was that theologian John Donne in his meditation number 17 that reminds that no person is an island in and of self. We're all part of the continent, a part of the main. So ask not for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. If one of us is diminished, the whole of us are diminished. We are, in fact, our sisters and our brothers' keepers. In a tangible example, Paul says for uh, us in 6.6, 6, so the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with the one who is doing the instructing. This is a way that we care one for another. But simultaneously, Paul says that we need not also, not only care for one another and bear one another's burdens, but we must also be mindful that we're accountable to God. So we must bear our own loads. 6.2, carry each other's burdens. 6.5, carry your own load. Which one? Both. So perhaps when we think that we need to go it alone is the very time that we need others to assist us. And perhaps it's the very time when we think that we have nothing to offer, nothing to contribute to the faith family, when we need to pitch in and to place their pack upon our back. How is it that we stay in step with the Spirit? The Galatians needed to know. We need to know. Well, by balancing responsibility to others and accountability to God. But not only that, by embracing and being committed to the following commitments. First of all, Paul says that if we're going to stay in step with the Spirit, we're going to have to choose concord over discord. To live above with saints we love, oh, that will be grace and glory. But to live below with saints we know, well, that's another story. <laughs> but it's that very story Christ in us, the hope of glory, lived with saints that aren't always sanctified to which we are called. Paul says in 5.15 that we are not to bite and devour each other, figuratively speaking. If we do, we need to watch out that we not destroy the other. As Paul is fashioning for us a vice list and then a virtue list in chapter 5, he says that the acts or the fruit of the flesh are evident. And isn't it interesting and striking in the midst of this bleak and black picture that the apostle paints 
that woven into this less than noble list, we discover words like hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. So we need to choose concord in Christ over provoking and envying one another. If we're to stay in step with the Spirit, we will choose concord over discord. We'll also choose care over conceit. Paul says in 526, let us not become conceited because knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. He can say to the Philippians that we, not, we ought not think of ourselves more highly than we sometimes are inclined to do. The kind of care of which Paul speaks is here shown. If someone is caught in a trespass, if someone is caught in a transgression, in a snare, the ones who are walking by the Spirit should restore this one and to do so gently, watching over ourselves all the while, lest we too be tempted. This term rendered restore is a word picture in ancient texts that can suggest the setting of a broken bone or the mending of a torn net. We do so carefully. We do so gently because Jesus was gentle and humble and hard and we would be like he is lest we begin to discover that we are also vulnerable, that we are also frail, that we are also susceptible to sin. That's why it is we who are without sin that get to cast the first stone. And that's why we lay our stones down even as we cast our sins upon the one who cares for us and died for us. Those who walk by the Spirit are those who choose concord over discord, care over conceit, and discernment over deceit. In 6.3, the apostle says, if anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Various kinds of deceit, we can be deceived by Satan. We can be deceived by others. But the kind of deceit that Paul focuses upon here is the kind of deceit that is spawned by self. He calls us, doesn't he, in 6-7, not to be duped, deceived. God cannot be mocked. That is, you can't thumb the nose ultimately at God. For whatever we sow, this will we reap. We will, in fact, reap that which we sow. 
If we sow tomato seeds, we shouldn't expect corn. We reap more than we sow. If we sow the wind, we may well reap the whirlwind. As one wag said, any fool can count the number of seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a single seed. You see, we reap, we sow a thought, we reap an action. We sow an action, we reap a habit, we sow a habit, we reap a lifestyle. We sow a lifestyle and we reap a destiny. But it all begins with a single thought, so we need to know what we sow. A story is told of a fox and a lark. They lived in the same wood. They had notoriously rocky relationships due to distrust. They simply didn't get along. One day the fox comes to the tree where the lark was nested, and the fox said to the lark, why can't we be friends? And the lark said, well, the reason is because you're bigger than I and you're meaner than I. And the fox said, well, I want to begin to restore our relationship, and so here's what I'll do. Tomorrow, I will bring to you breakfast in bed, as it were. At the outset of the day, I will bring to you and lay at the base of this tree a worm. The lark said, yeah, right. So the next day, sure enough, here comes the fox with the worm, placing the worm at the base of the tree. The fox takes leave over the hill through the dell. The lark swoops down and enjoys his breakfast. This continues day after day after day. And the lark thinks, this is not a bad deal. One day, the fox comes to the lark and says, any relationship worth salt is reciprocal. Now, I've been doing things for you day after day, but I need you to begin to have some skin in this game. And so, here's what I would ask of you. Uh, each day when you come to get the worm I provide for you, what I'd like for you to do is leave a feather. Not one, not two, just one. Uh, not, not two, just one. And when you get your worm, just leave one feather. They call larks bird brains for a reason. So, the next day, here comes the fox, leaves the worm, here comes the lark, gets the worm, leaves a feather. And this continues until that fateful day. As the fox comes, delivers the worm, the big, fat, slimy, juicy, dirty worm at the base of the tree, disappears, here descends the lark, and as he gets his breakfast as he seeks to fly, he can only flutter. Now returns the fox for his fattened prey. You say, what's the point of the story? It's a rather lengthy one. <laughs> I don't know, I just like the story. Or could it be something like this? Don't trade your wings for worms.
if we wait on the Lord, if we run and not grow weary, if we walk, we'll not faint, and we'll mount up with wings as eagles. The apostle says, if you're going to stay in step with the Spirit, then you're going to have to choose concord over discord, care over conceit, discernment over deceit, and yes, well-doing over weariness. Sometimes it's easy to grow weary. Sometimes it's difficult to keep on keeping on. We hear Paul elsewhere call us to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain, but sometimes it's difficult to keep on taking solid steps in the same direction, or as Eugene Peterson can say, a long obedience in the same direction. Sometimes we're tempted to throw in the spiritual towel, but then we're reminded that the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And the race is not always won by the fastest one, so we, like the tortoise of old, just get on the track and keep on trucking because in due time, in God's good time, we will reap if we do not lose heart. Ours is a hope, and we lean forward into God's good future, longing to hear the well done. Paul says, don't grow weary in well-doing. For in due time you will reap if you do not lose heart. So as time remains, there will come a day when there is no more time. If you're to visit Truett Seminary and you're more than welcome any time, you will see on our clock tower that passage from John that says the night cometh. In the context of John 9, it says that the night will come when we can no longer do good works, but as there is the day, let us do that which is good to one another, to be sure, but also to the other, to the household of faith, yes, but to all. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful. Be true. Let others see Jesus in you because you're the only Jesus that some will ever see and you're the only words of life that some will ever read. So let the see in you, the one in whom is all they'll ever need, because you're the only Jesus that some will ever see. So on that day that you say, I'm gonna take a spiritual break, may well be that day that you need to hunker down, hang on, nose to the grindstone, hand to the plow. One final thought. The Apostle Paul says that if you want to stay in step with the Spirit, then you are gonna need to be a people who choose Gratitude over grumbling. 
I have a friend who reminds me on those occasions when I decide to grumble like the people of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness thinking erroneously to themselves that they had it better back in Egypt. <laughs> My friend reminds me, Todd, whining is not a spiritual gift. <laughs> and so it isn't. But a sense of gratitude, a, a sense of thankfulness that wells up inside us that says joyfully, I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. A sense of gratitude that says, it's grace that has brought me safe thus far, and grace that will lead me home. And then all of a sudden we sense that as we keep in step with the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is being born within our very lives. That love and that joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, those very kinds of things against which there is no law, and then people begin to see us as little Christ, the very kinds of folks that we've always wanted to be. And then our lives together become not only focused on Christ, but now we become formed more fully into his character. And then people outside begin to see there's something different about that lot there. They show us Jesus in winsome ways. They've been changed by his power and by his presence and by his peace. Our Lord and our God, we're grateful that you have given us your son and you have given us your spirit till the work on earth is done. God, we come today from different places with different concerns, but we come just as we are. And the good news is you receive us just as we are. No special conditions, no hoops through which to jump, but you call us to recognize that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so, at this time, we come to embrace your grace and to say that we want to be less of what we used to be and more of what we ought to be for your glory and for the good of the, wo the world and for the good of one another as we commit ourselves afresh to stay in step with the Spirit who dwells within us, leading us onward into the presence and the promises of Christ Jesus, in whom all of the promises are yes. We offer you our prayers through Christ. Amen.